Hello, I'm Jordan McCarthy and you're listening to The Swerve Podcast, episode number three. In The Swerve sessions, we hear from writers who've contributed and featured in Swerve magazine. In this episode, Assumpta Curran and Sue O'Connor will read their short stories, which appeared in issue one of Swerve, and also talk about the writing life. I met Sue and Assumpta in recent weeks at UCC campus. Thank you, Jordan. Um, great to be here today. I'm Sue O'Connor and... I'm a stay-at-home mom in real life and wannabe writer in not-so-real life. Um, so yeah, I'll read this story. It's just a short story, actually, and it was published in Swerve magazine as well. So, crack on. When I was eight, I lived next door to a man called Morty, who dressed in deer hunter check caps, corduroy jackets and high-waisted pants that seemed to reach his chest. He called his wife his bride, even though they have been married for close to 100 years. Elise was tiny and always wore kitten heels and skirts. They held hands all the time when they walked outside in the New York streets. You've a beauty there, Morty would say to my mother, grazing my cheek with his grandfatherly hand. She fumbled with grocery bags up the stairs, always carrying more than she could manage. Morty was one of life's Labradors, open, honest and not too sure where the line is. In the mornings, my mother would rise and eat breakfast, cardboard with chocolate milk. She would sit there in her nightdress, in the heat, watching soap operas. Then she would begin angrily chopping carrots that nobody wanted to eat. I would say I was going to visit the neighbours. She never seemed to mind. Morty and Elise's tiny apartment was always warm. They would cook with spices I'd never heard of before and used yoghurt in their dinners. Every day, Morty would get fresh bagels, which would still be warm by the time he came home. They would slice bananas into the bagels and it was the nicest meal in the world. One day they bought a huge colouring mat. When I would visit, we would pull out the pencils and start colouring it in. Elise would sit by the window while Morty would crouch down and colour with me. One October morning, Mum arrived home and took down our clothes from the makeshift rail and started to throw them into our suitcase. She spoke over her shoulder, telling me that we were moving. I followed her, asking... Would I be able to see Morty and Elise? As she brought the case all the way down the stairs, I was still asking questions. I purposely forgot my toothbrush. She knew I was a bit of a stickler for my toothbrush. So she let me go back upstairs, taking two steps at a time. When I knew she was out of earshot, I crept to Morty and Elise's door. Their floorboard outside their door was creaky, but I knew where to stand and reach across and ring the bell. It took forever for Morty to pad over to the door, his voice inside wondering to Elise who could it be. He opened the door and I ran into him and gave him a hug. Old age gently pressed down on his shoulder blades. Well, here now, what is the matter, Molly? I'm going away to live somewhere else. When? Today. What, now? Yes, I said in disbelief myself. That's it? That mother of yours, she really is something. I, now Morty, Elise called from the other room. Sometimes a mother has to do what is right for her child. Sleeping on a sofa is no place for a child to sleep at night. Their little bones must have space to move and grow. Where is she taking you, Molly? Elise came to the door now too, holding herself up at the frame. We're moving to Rockbury, wherever that is. There's supposed to be a lake there. A lake there. Morty's face, face flinched when I mentioned Rockbury. I could feel my mother's impatience downstairs. I gave Morty one last squeeze and held my hand out to Elise and ran down into the autumnal sunshine. But my mum had gone. The suitcase had gone too. 
I remember sitting on Morty's couch for hours and feeling cold, even though it was mild outside. The local police officer came by. His silhouette took up most of the doorway. His partner remained outside, chewing gum, looking in at me occasionally. The squawk of the radio on his shoulder. Elise was whispering on the phone in her room. The cops somehow located my mother that night. She arrived back with an overcoat a fraction too small for her. No doubt elegantly lifted from a shop rail and swooped on her shoulders like a bird taking flight and landing quickly. She dismissed their New York accident-accented inquiries and charmingly shooed them away from the door, like trick-or-treaters when the treats had run out. She shut the door and then turned around and stood looking at me. Brilliant, Sue. Thanks very much for reading that for us. Really nice story. It's, it appears in Swerve, really moving, and I really enjoyed that. Thanks for sharing. It's great to hear. It's great to read it in Swerve, but it's great to hear the writer read it as well, whether it's a story or a poem that really adds to it and gives you a sense of what it is about. Something would you like to read for us next? Thanks for having us here today, Jordan. Um, this is lovely. Um, so I have a piece again from Swerve um, called Viva La Vida. Um, on and on I trudge now in these later months I am a lone darkly clad figure negotiating moss covered tarmac and the mushy leaves that the wind has cruelly dumped in my path if I don't hit it well before noon I am battling a garden of disappearing daylight and a chill that would render even the fittest incapable of maintaining a normal body temperature the sun, mean in its casting strikes only a limited space in winter I find that I tend towards that little area, going around and around, never quite getting the warmth promised by the feeble yellow glow. A lone gull circles and swoops unsure of his surroundings. He lands on an overgrown tree fern by the pond. The last time I walked here, it was to the soundtrack of birdsong. The trees alive day and night, my ear keenly attuned to the various notes my feathered friends sang. Now, I swear at the quietness, unnerved by my own thoughts. A basket hangs from the front gate, perhaps a freshly baked bed, bread or maybe a cake from a well-intentioned neighbour. I ignore it and keep walking. Even the dogs are unhappy with the new course. They preferred the busy streets and the sniff of the poles on the routes they've come to know and love. Not today. Today I'm a slave to my mind and so walking within the confines of the black gates and the grey walls suits my oppression. I think of loss. There has been too much. Numbers swim in my head and I play with them. I fractionise, I rationalise, I feel feverishly giddy and nauseous simultaneously. The curve is flatter than before, but the fear now is of the unstable or number. I continue to do my own counting. 97, 98, 99, 100. First lap done, another 99 to go. I've measured this course too many times. One round of the rectangular space covers one hundredth of the requisite steps for optimum health and vitality. I scorn the people who promote this ridiculous plan, how they're fooling us, or me at least. I'm no closer to the promised healthy utopia, even though I'm now into my third month of this daily routine. The dogs sitting together in a huddle seem to be hatching a plan to escape, their disillusionment evident in their limp, low-hanging tails. The beach, the trips to the woods, all now a distant memory. Even the solitary gull has taken off, no doubt enervated by the prevailing mood of gloom and despair. A cluster of tiny pin feathers and broken eggshells adorn my track. More destruction. The bloody magpies have been out in force the last few weeks. Harbingers of all things nasty, 
the recent influx of this vermin of the bird world has prompted threats of the rifle from my husband. I scowl up into the overhanging sycamore half expecting to see their sharp brown eyes peering down at me. They don't disappoint. A pair sit there pompously, chests out, surveying my space. I think fleetingly of their extermination. I round the back corner of my enclosure and the sight of the eucalyptus tree, the child's swing still hanging from it, brings me back to happier and simpler times. Times when neighbours and unbidden folk could drop in for a cup and a chat and leave under cover of darkness, with a belly full of wine and a cache of gossip and tales. Not anymore. Covid has put paid to freedom and spontaneity. Cold place singing in my ear of life and longevity does nothing to assuage my tensions. I have become the person I fear. The irony of the song's theme, fear of death and love of life, is not lost on me. The reversal of fortune's idea at the end of the song, combined with my endorphin high, created me a cautious optimism. Maybe the best thing we can believe right now is that St. Peter will indeed call our names. 870, 871, 72... Ah, damn it, I've done enough for today. Time to claim the basket from the gate and make a cup of tea. My joints hurt as I make my way back up to the house. I pull my pyjama sleeves down over my icy fingers, now turning blue from the wind chill. It's nearly time to tune in for the daily update, see if we're anywhere closer to flattening the curve for a second time. And uh, one that takes us back, um, well, I was going to say to a time long ago, but not too long ago, but it feels long ago in many ways. And that story also appears in, in Swerve magazine. Uh, Sue, I suppose your kind of affiliation with writing probably goes back to when you were writing for uh, publications like The Examiner as a journalist, really, doesn't it? Sure, absolutely. I suppose I began as a reporter and I halfway through realised that I didn't really like asking people awkward questions so I loved going behind the scenes to the sub-editing desk just to make stories um, laid out on the page with photos and captions and headlines and stuff like that I love the kind of the intricacies behind the scenes so but of course it's all stories like so it's all interesting Um, just the stories that you get to hear were terrific and it was a a pleasure and a privilege to be a part of some really good stories along the way but yeah like fiction obviously is a different kettle of fish altogether um you know it's it's a safer world for sure but like that it's great to get different um real life happenings and get them down on paper and that's why i'd love kind of like the autobiography side of things or memoirs i love all that kind of um what people go through in real life and how they kind of survive yeah yeah some some things yeah Yeah. i suppose they're both storytelling essentially journalism and and fiction um, and this new term, relatively new term that we have, autofiction, that's probably your, you know, the the theme or the genre that motivates you to write with it, be fair. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I love the memoir and I love um, just probably people would say more maybe on a page than they would in real life kind of thing, but they'd find a little bit more freedom with that. And I think uh, it's definitely a way of getting the reader on board if you're writing something that did happen mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. sure, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, something you're a creative writing student master student in UCC I think you've just started year two how is that going and how is it impacting your writing routine would you say um, I suppose I can credit Cork Prose Collective with influencing my decision to come back to college um, I, I'm loving it um, I think it was a good decision on my part to do it over two years that wasn't uh, a choice I had but um, the fact that it, it happened that way um, has worked out for the better um, so I suppose I came to it with a, a dual purpose. One, 
uh, would have been to try and broaden my literary horizon because I'm quite narrow in that field. You know, I, I love crime fiction. I tended to read an awful lot of it um, to the loss, I suppose, of, you know, all the wonderful other genres that are out there. And um, the second uh, reason that I came to it was really to try and find my writer's voice, in inverted commas. Um, but it, it, it's fulfilling all of my expectations and more. It's absolutely wonderful. I'm really enjoying it. Love it. Uh, we mentioned off air actually about the the Russian short story writers. That's a, a, a big part of the course studying those masters, is it? It is, absolutely. Um, at the moment, I'm doing a module with UCC's writer in residence, Cathy Sweeney. And um, we're just going into our fifth week. And, you know, every week there's set reading and... Um, for next week we have um, some stories by you know the great Russian um, writers uh, to read and it just you know focuses the mind I suppose on the the short story and you know the the difference I suppose between Russian short stories and you know perhaps an Irish short story writer you know the Russians had such a, a direct uh, simple approach to short story writing but yet when you read it there's, they're multi-layered you know so they were in that regard absolute masters at their craft um, Yeah, so I'm really enjoying um, as I say just the exposure to the different genres because I was um, tending towards one genre you know but, um, so it's great you know the, the masters are certainly doing that for me yeah so what or how influential has like being a part of the Cork Prose Collective been for you? Was that when you kind of started writing again or had you been writing before that? Yeah, for sure. Um, it was actually a friend of mine sent me on the the information about it and it, had, it was something I'd seen. But, you know, sometimes when a friend kind of gives you the elbow to nudge towards doing something, I said, yeah, look, let's let's try and apply for that. And lockdown was kind of the ideal storm for, for me, really, just to have something, an outlet like that to to go every week to, or every two weeks and to have your homework every week and to have it critiqued so well by both the writers and Matthew the host of the classes you know just the feedback you get was terrific to grow as a writer to learn how to even critique other people's work um, and it wasn't all rosy like sometimes you got it in between the eyes which was good too you know as a writer to grow and um, to go back to the drawing board of what you had so definitely for me it's been a really positive influence looking forward to getting back to it now in October yeah, yeah. absolutely it's it is more daunting isn't it sharing um, a piece of creative writing than we'll say a journalistic piece isn't it you're putting kind of I don't know you're bearing part of your soul I feel I think so and I, I yeah for sure and like stories move on so quickly in in reporting and in the newspapers and radio I suppose that it's kind of you know it's the next day or it's the next day but for once you write something down, like in short story or prose or poetry or whatever it is, it's there and that's it. It's kind of a little capsule of time. So, um, you know, it takes a lot to stand behind it too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so something you mentioned, you read a lot of crime fiction and obviously there's a, there's a strong scene in Cork with that, with the likes of Catherine Corwin and Ty Coakley, Kevin Doyle, all, the, all those writers. And then obviously, you know, the, the global superstars as well, crime writers, um, whether it is Val, Mac, Val McDermott or... Well, since lockdown started what have you read that, you, that you'd recommend either just for a good read or one that can influence our writing oh yeah um, so I've read um, Claire McIntosh a British writer um, I love that she can so I love when I say crime I suppose I'm veering more towards the psychological thriller okay. so with a twist I love something with a twist and I'm always in awe of writers 
or you turn a page and something happens and you're saying, what? And you're going back maybe a chapter to say, what did I miss? But you haven't missed anything. It's just their genius at, you know, uh, coming up with this believable twist in the story. So Claire McIntosh is a master at, at that. Um, you know, there's you, you've Tana French, you know, who's wonderful, Irish writer, Sam Blake, Karen Slaughter. I've read a few really good books recently by American authors. Um, I'm presently reading The Push by Audrey... Audrain, I think it's the surname. Um, I've just read one called All Good People Here, which had a wonderful twist by Ashley Flowers. Um, and I've read a couple of books by Jeanne Hanf Corlitz. So she, her most recent, The Plot, is one that I'd really recommend. She's the author also of The Undoing, which was um, dramatised and starred Hugh Grant and oh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, and I had the pleasure of meeting her actually at the Boris Writers Festival back in June Um, and she gave a wonderful talk there and um, you know I I said to her I'd read the book um, The Undoing and loved it and she said yeah a world away from the drama so you know I think you know we all know that the book and the drama don't necessarily um, run parallel to one another but um, yes I've read those recently and loved them but you know I because of the masters I'm reading some memoir as well and um, have to mention the passing of Hilary Mantel which was awful two weeks ago I was so sad to hear that um, of all the memoir I've read on the course I would say giving up the ghost hers has been my favourite and you know we had been told that she was moving to Cork there was a rumour she was moving to West Cork and in my head I was going to meet her you know my hero you know and um, so very very sad you know passing a fortnight ago now yeah so who, who would be some of your I suppose literary heroes or what what writers are kind of inspiring your own work um, well I suppose a short story wise I loved Newell O'Connor's Yellow I thought that was just a really powerful piece of work Um and then I'm just reading or William by Elizabeth Strout at the moment. She's um, just has a terrific collection, really, of books that are just lovely to dip in and out of. Um, love Sinead Gleeson's Constellations, The Irish Writers, Emily Pine, Notes to Self, The Memoir. I thought it was terrific. Um, Rosita Boland has a travel um, book called Elsewhere that's really worth a read. Um, all her journeys kind of from her 20s onwards, really, throughout the world. Uh, Nisha Dolan's Exciting Times I thought was terrific um, I love Wally Lamb um, I know this much is true which was also a, um, made into a TV show as well and um, it's, I just love the, the Irish the boys Dermot Whelan talking about Unwreck Your Head um, Rezzy's, um his book I think it's My Mate is Jeffrey it was called about mental health I thought they were two really strong books as well so there's just such a, a plethora of um, Irish writers we can dip in and out of it's terrific to see and you've both had like your work published and shared widely now over the past couple of months, whether to swerve. Sue, you were highly commended in the From the Well anthology, another Cork um, publication, and it's something yourself. I know you wrote the the soap for the the Echo, and I, I really enjoyed your reading of that in Kinsale uh, a while back. So uh, people can check out your, your your work in those publications, and hopefully there'll be more to come soon. But what have you learned so far about the writing process, and what advice? lessons have you learned that you'd be keen to share with beginners first yourself or something you know the, the message that keeps two things I suppose that keep you know coming from everybody's mouth you know be it our lecturers a visiting writer whomever they all say the same thing you know there is no proper time to write you know so saying 
I have to start getting up early in the morning. You don't have to start getting up early in the morning. Some, as a matter of fact, um, we had a fabulous talk from Olivia Fitzsimons recently, um, uh, uh, just last week, and she said that she literally wrote her her latest book um, anywhere. She it could traffic in the car, waiting for somebody sitting in the car. She said, any few minutes I could snatch, you know, I wrote. Um, you know, so uh, that's one thing that that keeps it. There is no routine we need to adapt for writing you snatch the time you can you know and you make you know or you make the time for yourself something I'm not good at doing um, so that's the first thing and the second thing that's very uh, a strong message that comes to us the whole time in class and as I say again from visitors is to um, read your writing out loud to yourself yeah. um, you know and you'll, you'll, you'll hear where it's oh no I need to change that so reading it out loud is um, a huge, you know, thing, something that I need to start doing, actually. But, um, yeah, so I'd say those two things are the are the loudest and the clearest messages that I've been getting through the MA and through the various um, writers that have come to visit. Yeah. Would you like to add to that, Sue? Um, it's funny, I was reading an article with the two Johnnies, the, the boys on 2FM, and they were saying, one of them, it was Johnny Slacks, was saying that he walks around with a notebook like when he gets inspiration the notebook's out and he's making notes and I just thought it was just a really old school way of doing things rather than I know when things come into my head I'm like I must make a note of that Yes. and you know get it down on paper because if you do go to sit down to write and you are a bit blank then there's always something to kind of pick through and go through that so I think that's been a good advice and just get it done do you know what I mean sit down get it, get an hour done whatever it is get the dishwasher on sit down get it done and even if it's you get 20 minutes of really good stuff then it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. The hardest part is kind of showing up, isn't it? Would you, would you say, yeah? Oh, for sure. I mean, you can have all the excuses and um, clean windows or whatever it is you <laughs> would prefer to do rather than sit down and write. But yeah, once you do it, then you're in the flow and mm-hmm. get out your little notebook and you're good to go. Is there, like, is there in your, either of you are working on at the moment projects you're excited about or I suppose you're both looking forward to the prose collective starting up again? Yeah, that's going to be a real treat to come back and um, get back into the, the groove of every two weeks and getting homework on time, getting done for that. Um, there's a lot of competitions open at the moment, so it's worth checking out when the closing dates are and just aiming for those kind of ones ticking off the list. Um, I did a course with Billy O'Callaghan, the writer, and he said you'd be pretty much aiming for like about 100 rejections a year mm. now which is in writer's term we all get that right but in real life people might be freaking out but then you might have sent off I don't know 200 or whatever it is um, you might hear back from some but like you might hear back from others and it's worth throwing in as much as you can scatter shot it across the, the different outlets for sure Will we see another soap next year from yourself or something? Oh no, I'm no. done now with the, um, I think it was, it, I'm not doing that module this year, so um, it was within the Writing for Media module that that came about. Um, so with Writing for Media, we had, you know, a choice of writing serialised fiction or, you know, a report or whatever. So I went for the serialised fiction option and with that came um, submission to the Evening Echo and, you know, possible... Um, publishing, so I was delighted, absolutely honoured to have that run in the evening echo. Yeah, but listen, thanks a million for the chat and the readings. Enjoyed it and um, continued success to both of you. Thank you, Jordan, and to yourself. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks so much.